Um, work cut out for me tonight because here it is, quarter to seven, and it's raining, and you've had a long day, and it's comfortable in here, and the chair is soft, and you know, it might be some snoozing before long, so I've got my work cut out tonight. Um, here's what we're going to start doing I'm going to pass out these worksheets, and I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. We're going to have a little uh, fun time to start. I want you to leave it turned upside down when you get it, okay? Because I want everybody to have a fair shot. I'll go ahead and show you what it is. We're going to do a quick little uh, word search based on Nehemiah 8.8. There are nine words there. And I want to see who among us can find these nine words the fastest. Okay, so to make it fair... What's the time? <laughs> well, I'll cut it off if it takes too long. I think we've got some pretty sharp people that will get this pretty quickly. Uh, so when you get it, you'll just keep it turned upside down and wait till I say go. When I say go, the first one to find these nine words is the winner. And you'll get the grand prize, which... Uh, is the feeling and satisfaction of being the winner. Okay? That, that's it. So, yeah, well, we, we got another feather from the other night. If you missed that study, we'll be glad to give you a feather, uh, feather in your cap, okay? All right, so when you get this worksheet, just keep it turned upside down. And uh, there's a spot there next to Laura. You got room there? She can slip in. All right. So we get that worksheet, keep it upside down. Don't nobody cheat. Not, not that y'all would do that, I know. <laughs> but if you get it quick enough, there might be a prize. You never know. All these words come from Nehemiah 8.8. 8. And I'm going to go ahead and read that verse, okay? Nehemiah 8.8 8 says, So they read distinctly from the book and the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And that's where all those words come from. This is computer generated, but I did check it, so all the words are there. This is not a trick. Okay? Not too long. Not too long. I did it. I did it by sight. I did have trouble with one word when I did it the second time. I did it by sight on the screen the first time. When I did it in person, it took me a minute to find one. <laughs> I, yeah, it's computer generated. Yeah. It, it creates it for you. I got a, I got a Bible software program that will create a. It'll create the puzzle. Should be at least one extra. This this way and turn them over already. All right, now you ready to go? We're gonna do it twice and still beats you. On your mark, good set, go. Get another one. Hurry up. It tells me who the competitive people are in here, for sure. <laughs> what if you find the 
find a word that's not on the list. That's, that's, that's a bonus when you get that. <laughs> Done. Done? Who said that? All right, Lori, you got all nine? She's got two brains. All right. All right. I gave you another minute or so, see if you can finish. Well, I've already looked at Pat, so I have to quit. Okay. At least you were honest. Okay, there you go. I got two left. Who will come in second? No, Dorita's already got, okay, Dorita's got second place, and we're waiting on that third place. You done? Oh, okay. The last one line tonight, by the way, we're just doing a little task, and no, I'm kidding. I'm done, got it. Danielle's got third, all right. Well, uh, to, to the, I hesitate getting these. You know why? Because I know you'll hear nothing else I say until you find those nine words. Um, I'll listen to you. I'm through. <laughs> <laughs> was sense the one you had a hard time with? Actually, the, the one time I did was was red. Mm-hmm. Red's the one I had a hard time with. All right, Marlene comes in. Uh, Fourth. Nine. All right. I got it. All right. Steve at fifth. Oh, no. Okay. Steve took fourth. Marlene's still missing one. You ever get one of these and you're frustrated because you really believe the word is not in there? It just cannot be in there. Almost on counts in uh, horseshoes and hand grenades and nuclear bombs for sure. So. Well, if you didn't finish, you can finish later or whatever, and uh, if you'll give me your attention. Uh, for some of you, that was fun. Uh, you like those. For others, for others, that was uh, it was all right. You're not a big puzzle person. Uh, but I want you to think about. For some, that was you know thrilling to try to compete over a simple little thing. But don't answer out loud. But just in your own heart, I wonder how many in this room. Don't answer out loud. Don't don't nod or shake your head. How many in this room find the Bible? God's Word, thrilling, exciting, and riveting. Now, we just interacted with God's Word in a little puzzle. That was all from Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. So maybe that was thrilling or exciting or at least fun for you. But how many find God's Word thrilling, exciting, and riveting? And then how many, if they were honest tonight, would say, you know what? I find that the Bible is boring, it's routine, it's predictable, and it's dry. Now, listen, whenever a child of God is not excited about God's Word and not passionate about God's Word, something is wrong, seriously wrong. Think about it for a moment. If you've got a Bible tonight, and it looks like everybody brought theirs, that's great. I want you to look at your Bible for a moment. Just look at it. Take a moment and look at it. It might be one you've had for years. It might be one that you just got. But I want you to think about what you're holding in your hand. This is the very Word of God in our own language. And most everybody in here has a copy that belongs to them. Probably a lot of us, we were honest, we have several copies. You might even have stacks of Bible at home where you've gone through the years. We can read God's Word. We can study it. We can memorize it. We can meet tonight without fear of being arrested, uh, without fear of getting beat up. 
without fear of getting uh, persecuted physically, uh, without the fear of being killed. Uh, I don't have any fear about anybody bursting in on us tonight and, and shooting us down because we're studying God's Word. Um, do you? Do you have any fear tonight? No. We have wonderful freedom. But so many of us act kind of like uh, we're uh, folks that go on the Antiques Roadshow. How many of you like the Antiques Roadshow? I figured a bunch of you did. You ever watch the Antiques Roadshow and someone comes along with some item and they come waltzing in there with this item and they got a ticket. My brother tried to get on the show uh, when it came to, was it Raleigh or wherever it was? Uh, didn't get on the ticket. I mean, they just got bombarded with requests. But these people come in here with a certain item. They have no idea what it is. They have no idea what it's worth. Uh, it's something they let the kids play with at home. Uh, they use it as a flower vase or they use it as a doorstop. And they sit them at a little table. And uh, when you get set up at a little table, you pretty much know that you've got a real dud and, and you've got duped or you've got something at least worth something or they want to educate you. But you ever watch when those people sit there, don't know what they have, don't know what it's worth, they don't know anything about it, they've just been having it around, they just kind of brought it in there careless of that day. And the fellow or lady looks at them and says, what you have is a real treasure and it's worth whatever, X amount of dollars. And their jaw just drops and they're amazed. Now, listen. When they find that out, do you think they carry that item out the same way they bring it in? No. Yeah, would you like to buy it? Uh, but no, it might be something they might have drug in in a box or they might have let the kids play with it. But they realize I've got something valuable here and they leave holding on to that thing tightly. And they leave very carefully. They leave realizing they have a treasure. Now listen, how many of us, if we're honest... We treat God's word like they treat that object. They don't know what it is. We just kind of carry it around and we drag it in and we don't really do much with it. Uh, we might let the kids flip through it. We might use it as a, as a paper plate or whatever. We don't really treasure God's word. Would somebody look up uh, for me Psalm 119, verse 72 and read that out loud? Psalm 119. I should have a sword drill. That would be another competition here for you guys that are competitive, huh? But Psalm 119, verse 72. Have I got that? I got it. All right, would you read it uh, real loud for us, please? The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Now, did you hear what you said? Would you read it again there, Miss Lynn? The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. The law, the word of God, is better, more valuable, worth more than thousands of of gold and silver coins. Now, don't answer out loud, but be honest in your own heart tonight. If you had to make a choice in your life between God's Word, and I mean thousands of gold and silver coins. Now, don't, don't, I know the illustration will break down because some of you will say, well, I take the coins and I go buy another Bible. But anyway, <laughs> don't, don't let it break down like that. You have this choice, one choice. God's Word or thousands of pieces of gold or silver. Which would you take? Don't answer out loud, but answer your own heart. Because God's word is more valuable than thousands of pieces of gold and silver. Listen, be honest with yourself. Whenever we lose an, our high view of Scripture, whenever we have a low view of Scripture, we need revival. Now listen, in tonight's study, I'm not here to lay a guilt trip on you. I don't want to make you feel bad. I don't want you to leave here all dejected. I want to encourage you. 
I want to encourage you, if you're not already in God's Word, I want to encourage you to leave here today realizing what a treasure you have. And I mean leaving here excited about God's Word. And if you're already in God's Word, and you're already studying God's Word, I want to encourage you tonight from Nehemiah chapter 8 to keep on keeping on in God's Word. Because really what we have here in this 8th chapter, remember we started chapter 7 last week, we looked at all those names and the leadership that uh, Nehemiah gave. Uh, We talked about, we turned a corner in chapter 7. The first six chapters of Nehemiah are all about rebuilding the wall. And they worked hard at rebuilding that wall. And here we come to chapter 7 last week and chapter 8 this week. The wall is done. The gates are hung. That's an accomplishment. That's something they've marked off the list. But now we move from rebuilding the walls in chapters 1 through 6 to reviving the people in chapters 7 through 13. And a remarkable thing happens here in Nehemiah chapter 8. The people tell Ezra, you've heard that name before, right? Uh, pretty close here to the book of Nehemiah. Uh, they tell Ezra to bring the book. And not just any book. They want him to bring the book. They want him to bring the word of God. Now, of course, back then they didn't have the completed canon of scripture like we have. Okay, they had the law and so forth. But we have the complete canon of scripture. The, the book is finished. It's sealed. Uh, it's closed. And we have it in 66 books. Uh, inspired by God over about 40 writers over a period of about 1,500 years, without error, inspired, infallible, inerrant, authoritative. We can rest our eternal destiny. We have it in our hands. It's a treasure. And so they crawl out for Ezra to bring out the book. And here in chapter 8, we have what you might call a Bible conference or revival meeting, if you like saying it better that way. And I want to go through and read this here together. And then we're going to actually go through and see what God has for us, some principles and some lessons. So let's go through. I'm going to begin reading in uh, chapter 8. And we'll begin reading there at verse number 1 of chapter 8. Chapter 8 and verse number 1. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. Now remember, there was different gates On this wall. And we talked about that early on in our study way back. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Verse four. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Urijah, Hilkiah and Masiah. And at his left hand. Padiah, Mishael, Malkajai, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshullam. Hope you enjoyed that. It's probably the only time I read it tonight. <laughs> Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, uh, Echab, Shabbatiah, Hojaijah, Messiah, Kaleida, Azariah, 
Jehozabad, Hanan, Peleliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So a little bit different because you all are seated tonight. They were standing. How, what do you think they think if we took the pews out one Sunday and came in? That wouldn't be good, would it? No. People would be laying on the floor. I know what would happen. There would be picnic blankets the next week. Yeah, that's true. If you want to get a nap, that would be a little more comfortable. You could spread out. And that was from morning to midday. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a moment. You're right. Could these people read? We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Let's finish reading. We'll, we'll jump into that in just a minute. Yeah, we sure will. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them understand the reading. That's the one that you did the, the puzzle on tonight, verse 8. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept, and they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portion to those for whom nothing is prepared. Now, some of y'all might want to take that as your life verse. Uh, but, you know, might want to think about it. But we'll talk about it in a moment. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Now on the second day, so we've moved into another day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And at that they should announce to proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and the branches of leafy trees to make booths as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one of the roof of his house, or in their courtyards, or the courts of the house of God, in the open square of the water gate, and in the open square, open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. And there was very great gladness. Also, day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed Manner. Now, I want to look at several things here. We're going to talk about some of the things that you guys brought up, and we'll give some time for you to discuss those. But I want to show you some lessons right away here as we jump at this. There's some blanks for you to fill in if you want to write some notes here. I want you to notice some of the lessons we learned from Nehemiah 8 right away, and that's this. We should hunger for the Word of God. We should hunger for the Word of God. I want you to notice the people there in chapter 8, verse 1 says, When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square in front of the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses and the Lord had commanded Israel. And notice verse 2. So Ezra this priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. So I want you to get your mind wrapped around this and get a picture in your mind 
of this great assembly in front of this uh, water gate, in front of this great square. You have men, you have women. And then that phrase, all that could understand, more than likely refers to those older children. The children who could understand, the children who could process what was going on. Now, I want you to look at that quote uh, that I put on your paper there at that point. This note, the Mosaic law specified that once every seven years, the people of Israel were to assemble and listen to the reading of the law. This was to take place during the Feast of Booths, also called Tabernacles. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 31. This occasion provided an opportunity for the people to renew their commitments to Yahweh and his law. Such covenant renewal ceremonies had taken place earlier in Israel's history. We see there Joshua throughout those passages and were common in the ancient Near East. Nehemiah records another of these that took place in year 444 B.C. So here they are. They're in front of the Ezra and they call out to Ezra and they say, listen, bring the book. Bring the book. And I want you to notice what they desire there. They didn't ask to see a drama. They didn't ask to sing a song or hear a song. They didn't ask to see a play. Uh, they asked for the word of God. I want you to think about that for a moment. What are we looking for? What are we desiring when we come to God's house? Think about it for a moment. Don't answer out loud. What do, you, what do you come here for? Is it habit? Is it because mom and dad made you and you're just in a habit of coming? Is it because if you don't come, somebody might talk about you or might call you on the telephone? Uh, why do you come? Listen, one of the reasons we come on Sunday and Wednesdays is to hear the word of God proclaimed, to worship, to pray, to fellowship. There's a great accountability here uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should hunger for the word of God. I taught some of you that little song from Psalm 19. Let me read some verses to you from Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. Here's what it says. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And listen to the next part. More to be desired are they than, anybody know it? Gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. We should hunger for the word of God. There should be a hunger, a desire, an appetite that we want to understand. We want to be filled with the word of God. Now, I, want, I put a long quote here on your sheet because I think it's important. And let's all turn to 1 Peter 2.2. 2, and this is all based upon that. And we'll come back to Nehemiah here in a moment. 1 Peter 2.2. 2. While you're finding that, this uh, piece I'm giving you is from Howard Hendricks, a great Bible teacher and uh, professor. And that's from this book, Living by the Book. And if you really want to learn how to study God's Word, and you really want to get deep in God's Word, I'd recommend this book to you. And he'll teach you about observation interpretation and application. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. But let me read you this quote if we read 1 Peter 2.2. 2, okay? 1 Peter 2.2, 2, here's what it says. As newborn babes... Got a little spider hanging on here. That makes me scared these days with spiders. All right, let's try again. Now he's on my Bible. All right. That didn't get you, did it, Marlene? Yes. 
as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may what? Grow thereby. And I want you to read this with me. I gave you the quote. Let's read it together. Okay. It says, let me give you three words to unpack the truth contained here in 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Write them in the margin of your Bible next to this verse. The first one is attitude. If you, if you like writing your Bible, you might want to do this. The first one is attitude. Peter is describing the attitude of a newborn baby. Just as a baby grabs for the bottle, so you grab for the book. The baby has to have milk to sustain its life physically. You have to have the scriptures to sustain your life spiritually. Uh, Gene and I had four children, he writes. And when they were babies, we learned early, excuse me, early on that about every three or four hours, a timer goes off inside an infant. And you better not ignore it. You better get a bottle of milk there fast. As soon as you do, there's a great calm. Peter picks up that expressive figure and says that that's to be your attitude toward Scripture. So as a newborn Christian, they're to desire the milk of the word. Now, read what he says next. He also says a word about your appetite. That's the second word. So first one is attitude. The second one's appetite for the word. You should long for it, he says. You're to crave the spiritual milk of God's word. We're on that second page. Now, here's why I want you to catch this. This very next paragraph. Now, to be honest, that's a cultivated taste. Every now and then, somebody will say to me, you know, Professor Hendricks, I'm really not getting very much out of the Bible. But that's a greater commentary on the person than it is on the book. Psalm 19.10 says that scripture is sweeter than honey. But you never know that by judging some believers. You see, there are three basic kinds of Bible students. There is the nasty medicine type. To them, the word is bitter, yuck, but it's good for what ails them. Then there's the shredded wheat kind. To them, uh, scripture is nourishing, but dry. It's like eating a bale of hay. You ever ate a bale of hay? No, okay. But the third kind is what I call strawberry and cream <coughs> folks. They just can't get enough of the stuff. How did they acquire that taste? That, that's the big question. How do you move from, okay... Uh, milk of the word to uh, it's kind of bitter or it's kind of real dry like a, a bale of hay to, stra- to, to strawberries and cream. Notice the next sentence. By feasting on the word. They cultivated what Peter describes here, an insatiable appetite for spiritual truth. Which of these three types are you? There's a purpose to all of this, which brings us to the third word, which is the word aim. A-I-M. What is the aim of the Bible? The text tells us, in order that you might grow. Please note it is not only that you may know, certainly you can't grow without knowing, but you can know and not grow. The Bible was not written to satisfy your curiosity, but to help you conform to Christ's image. Not to make you a smarter sinner, but to make you like the Savior. Not to fill your head with a collection of biblical facts, but to transform your life. Now that's an, uh, a needed paragraph. We've got a lot of Christians who have a lot up here, and they've got all kinds of facts and figures and details and all, but it has not, came, it has not gone from here down into their body and their lives, and they're not living it out. It's not just to know us so we can grow. Now, notice the next part. When our kids were youngsters growing up, we set up a growth chart on the back of a closet door. As they grew, they begged us to measure how tall they had gotten and recorded on the chart. It didn't matter how small the increments were. They bounced up and down with excitement to see their progress. 
One time after I measured one of my daughters, she asked me the sort of question you wish kids wouldn't ask. Daddy, why do big people stop growing? How could I explain that big people don't stop growing? We just grow in a different direction. I don't know what I told her, but to this day, the Lord is still asking me, Hendrix, are you growing old or are you growing up? How about you? How long have you been a Christian? Nine months? Seven or eight years? Thirty-nine years? The real issue is, how much have you grown up? Step up to God's growth chart and measure your progress. That's what this passage is teaching. And I put a question there. Have you cultivated an insatiable appetite for God's Word? How do these strawberry creams people get there? They get there by what? Feasting on the Word. And the more they feast, the more they want to feast. And the more they eat, the more they want to eat. The more they learn, the more they want to learn. The more they grow, the more they want to grow. Now, here's a big question, though. Because we know the Bible talks about uh, milk and meat. Remember the passage talks about you have need that I teach you again because you're, you, know, you should be meat eaters, but you're still drinking the milk. Now, here's an important question. Are there two sets of Bible doctrine? I mean, is the meat real serious only for those who are advanced and really spiritual as the whole set of different teachings? And the milk is another set of teachings? No. No. God's Word is consistent. The difference is our understanding. Our understanding. You know, we can understand maybe a simple doctrine. And we get that doctrine kind of on a milk level. We begin to grow in the Lord. We can get down into the meat of the Word and get deeper into the Word. And by the way, when you are in the milk stage, that is not to make you feel like you're proud and boastful. I'm a meat eater. You know, the deeper you grow in the Word, the more humble you should grow. You know, a wise person, the more they learn, the more humble they become. You know why? They realize how much they don't know. You ever think about that? The more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know and how much more I need to know and I need to grow. And so we have these people in Nehemiah and they're crying out for Ezra to bring the word. Uh, They're crying out for him to bring the book. So go back to Nehemiah 8. So I ask you, they don't answer out loud, but what kind of Christian are you? Is God's word bitter medicine or is it dry and like a bale of hay or is it strawberry and cream? Is it something that you have an insatiable appetite for? Well, you know what? I look at the people in Nehemiah 8. I want you to notice what they did. Uh, We learn here we should, secondly, hear the Word of God. That's your second point there. We should hear the Word of God. Now, please understand. There in verse number uh, 3, it says, Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Now, Larry, you've already pointed out to us that's a long time. Most scholars agree that I study today. And uh, that was about six hours. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. For six hours. Now, he didn't have a bound leather Bible like you and I have. You know, it was a scroll. And they're up there. And if you notice, they're on a raised platform. Ezra the scribe uh, with those with him, the Levites and so forth. And they're there. And the people stood, remember? And it's, according to the scripture, they seemed like they kept on standing, Right. So I want you to picture this for a moment. For six hours, you come to church on Sunday. And for six hours, we're going to read God's word aloud. You're going to stand the whole time. And not just you, your spouse is going to stand and your children that are old enough to understand. Are you getting a picture here of what's going on? Would you agree that they had a hunger for God's word? Now, of course, listen. They didn't have their own copy of the Bible like we have. 
Now, I think he mentioned about could they read and so forth. That's a good question there. I don't know if all of them could read or not, but they didn't have the scripture to be able to read. You know, we're talking about it very early in the recording of the scripture. We're talking about Ezra having that scroll. And we don't know exactly how this played out. If they took turns reading, maybe that's why there were so many. And there's even a possibility that during this time, as we saw in verse number eight, they, they gave the sense and explained it. They may have stopped and got in groups and explained it or whatever and, and given out expositions and sermons and so forth. But for six hours, and did you notice at the end of the passage, it said the second day. And did you notice the last verse? As also day by day from the first day to the last day, he had read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. I want you to think about that. Day after day after day, they're there listening to God's word. And they hear God's word. Now, they didn't have uh, their own copy of the scripture. I should put that up there. I forget where I put it. So when I put, we should hear God's word. I mean we should hear it. But we also understand that, that we should read God's word. We should study God's word ourselves. But I want you to help me for a moment. What are some ways that we hear God's word? Okay, let's get a little more specific even. Okay, Sunday school. Sermons. Songs. Bible studies. Okay, tapes, CDs, DVDs, TVs. Yeah, I get a lot of my spiritual nourishment. Radio. Books. Magazines. Yeah, that's a big one. Now, would you agree that we're blessed people? We can have access to God's Word anytime we want to have access to it. Right? I mean, we've got our own copies. We come to church. They're all over the place here. If you don't have it, you can take one home with you. Uh, we've got internet. We've got television. We've got radio. We've got, uh, just name it. We've got God's Word. You think maybe that's one reason why we don't treasure God's Word? Because we have God's Word so freely. Imagine now, in other places, there are believers who do not own a copy of the Scripture. There are even groups that don't even have a copy in their own language. I shared with you Sunday. Now, one of the reasons we're doing such a, a big emphasis on our Lottie Moon offering for international missions, there are over 6,000 people groups that have never heard the name of Jesus, never been reached with the Gospel. We have missionaries, I understand, that want to go to the field. We don't have money to send them. And so we're, we're seeking to, to give and to send these folks that want to go. We want to go. And so here's the thing about it. We have God's Word, but maybe we've grown accustomed to it. We, we have it all the time, and it's there. It's kind of like somebody is hungry, you know? We don't get that hungry. Why? Because our cupboards are overflowing, and our fridge is full, and there's restaurants. Well, maybe not here, but <laughs> restaurants out from here. Uh, I grew up in a place with a lot of restaurants, but anyway. Uh, we have food available like crazy, right? We, we sometimes get sick of looking at, well, some get sick of looking at food, right? Um... But we're to hear God's word. I want you to notice that it says there they were attentive. Look at verse number um, three again at the end. And those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book, to the book of the law. Now, listen, 
How many times are we attentive when we come to Sunday school? How many times are we attentive when we hear the sermon? How many times are we really attentive when we sing the songs? How many times are we really attentive when we come to Bible study? How many times are we really attentive, we're really listening to God's Word when it comes forth? How many times are we really listen, we're really soaking it in? Our mind is usually wandering, we're thinking about everything we've got to do, everything we've already done, everything is coming up. We're thinking about everything, we're not focusing in on God's Word. And we wonder, why do I get more out of church? Why do I get more out of the Bible study? Why do I get more out of Sunday school? Listen, you get out of it usually what you put into it. If you come and sit and soak and sour, that's up to you. You're to come and sit and soak it in and live it out. We'll talk more about that in a moment. We're to hear God's Word. I love this quote, Major Rogers. Read the Bible. It will give you a checkup from the neck up, help you avoid stinking thinking, and totally eliminate hardening of the attitude. The Word of God will change your life. Everybody who's a believer here, you already know that. Why? Because the Word of God revealed to you you're a sinner, you're lost, you're condemned, you're undone, but there is a Savior and His name is Jesus. And you turn from your sin to faith in Christ. We need, we need to hunger for the Word. We need to hear the Word. And thirdly, we've got to move on because our time's running out. We should honor the Word of God. We should honor the Word of God. There are several ways I see in this passage this is accomplished. I think, first of all, uh, there in verse number five, let's read that. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people did what? They stood up. You ever been in a church that does that? Yeah. Uh, I know that I understand from the, the reading today in scholars that this became a very common practice in the synagogue. I understand over in Scottish churches is very common. They even carry the Bible in. Listen, I think it shows that we're to reverence or respect God's word. This is God's word. This is God's word. We should reverence it. We should respect it. I think, secondly, we honor God's word by retelling it. So what do you mean, preacher? Look at verses 7 and 8. Look at the end of verse 7. These people help the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. Now, notice verse 8. If you're a Sunday school teacher... If you teach devotion, whatever you do, if you preach or whatever, look at verse 8. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. They read distinctly from the book, the law of God. We're not here to have a sermon from the Reader's Digest. We're not here to preach from home life. We're here to preach from the Word of God. We can pull a story, an illustration from those things, but our primary text is what? God's Word. They read distinctly from the book of the Word of the Law of God. They gave the sense and helped them understand the reading. You know what my primary job here is for you tonight? Help you understand God's word. If you're a Sunday school teacher, that's your primary job. You're to help your students understand God's word. And you're also to help them understand how does it apply to them today. See, we're taking this Old Testament passage and Nehemiah way back when. And we're saying what tonight? We should hunger after God's word. We should hear God's word. We should honor God's word. Why? Through reverence, through retelling, through repentance. Look at verse number nine. Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Listen, when they heard God's word being proclaimed, they realized they had not done what they should have done. And I put down repentance there. They're weeping. They're mournful. They're sorrowful over what they're doing. They desire, obviously, to turn from their sin and turn from their wickedness and turn from the disobedience, which leads now to rejoicing. In verses 10 through 12, uh, it says there, 
He says, listen, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those whom nothing is prepared. Why? For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions, to rejoice greatly. Why? What's the last part of the verse said? Because they understood the words that were declared to them. Listen, the reason they could rejoice and they could uh, fellowship together is because I believe, number one, they repented. And then they could rejoice because they understood God's word. I mean, some of them, how many years had it been since they really heard God's word proclaimed? So we honor God's word by repenting, by rejoicing, and then fifthly, by responding in obedience. And here's where you have that festival or the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's read that little quote, and we're almost done here as our time's running out. You know, this is about the booze they made. I read this uh, quote I put in there. By this time, the reading of the law had advanced to Leviticus 23. The listeners discovered that they were to observe the Feast of Tabernacles from the 15th to the 22nd day of the seventh month. Remember, this is the seventh month they're meeting. During this time, the people were to live in booze made of fresh branches of fruit and palm trees. The booths were set up in courts, streets, public squares, and housetops. No secular work was to be done during this festival. This feast, watch this, was observed in memory of their ancestors living in booths, that is, tents after the Exodus. See Leviticus 23.40. So they're remembering what God did. Because notice the next sentence. The booth was not a symbol of misery, but of what? Protection, preservation, and shelter. When they were in that booth, obviously they're thinking back to their ancestors and they're remembering God's faithfulness to them and God's honoring them and God's bringing them through. And so when we come to God's word, it's not enough just to hear it. It's not enough to say, amen, amen, you know, we never do that here at Red Hill. But anyway, some churches, they say, amen. But um, it's not enough just to hear it. It's not enough just to soak it in. It's not enough just to know facts and figures as great as that is. Listen, this is not just a book for information. This is a book for transformation. The word of God is to change your life. How many times are we exposed to people saying, you know, maybe sitting on a telecommercial or a television or a commercial infomercial or whatever. You know, this book will change your life. You know, whatever book it is. If you order this, you'll learn how to be a millionaire. And uh, I guarantee in five easy lessons, you'll be a millionaire. And all you got to do is figure out how to go on TV and sell a book telling people to be a millionaire. And you become a millionaire. But anyway, uh, this will change your life. Listen, this, beloved, is a book that will change your life. I guarantee it. God guarantees it. The Holy Inspired Bible, inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. We're going to close with this, and we're out of time. This is from Adrian Rogers as well. How to understand a Bible passage. You see the bottom there? How do you understand a Bible passage? All of you study the Bible, I trust. All of you look at the Word. Maybe you're preparing even now for Sunday school or whatever. Here are some good tips he gave. First of all, read it through. Read it through. If you're going to teach God's Word, if you're going to understand God's Word, it starts with reading or hearing it, right? I mean, you've got to have that. You've got to read it through. Secondly, think it clear. Think it clear. It takes time to study God's Word. It take, we've only scratched the surface here tonight. Nehemiah 8 is jam-packed. I'm probably going to preach a a sermon one day from from Nehemiah 8 uh, concerning how to listen to a sermon. Uh, I really think that's something we might need to give out in our church today. I'm thinking as a whole, and I may do that probably sometime next year. Think it clear. Write it down. It's amazing what a pen or a pencil will do as you're going through. 
uh, real quickly, we're teaching here. Observation, what do you see? Um, interpretation, what does it say? Application, what does it mean to me today? Is basically what it, what it boils down to. Read it through. Think it clear. Write it down. Pray it in. Prayer and Bible reading and study go hand in hand. Pray it in. Notice the last two. Here's the important. Here's where we usually fail. What's the last two? Live it out. And what? Pass it on. Here, if you want to grow, we're going to close with this. If you want to grow, I mean really grow in your Bible study and understanding, let me sign you up to be a Sunday school teacher. Now those who are Sunday school teachers, would you agree with that? When you have to prepare a lesson, when you have to share God's Word, it's amazing how much it will force you to get in God's Word. But here's the great thing about it. When you start doing that, man... That hunger begins to well up in you and you want to know more and you want to learn more. And you want to make sure you try to figure out every question they might shoot at you that Sunday. And you know so-and-so's in that class and they have hard questions. And and over there they know a lot more about the Bible than you do. And so you're there studying God's Word. And and so maybe even sometimes the motive isn't even right. But you know what happens? God the Holy Spirit begins to take God's Word and transform your life. We need to close and pray. It's time to go. I hope you're inspired to take God's Word and get into it. Don't take for granted we have this book. Treasure it. It's worth more than thousands of pieces of gold or silver. Think about the folks who die and have died to give us this book. And thank God for it and treasure it. Let's pray. Father, Your Word is a marvelous treasure. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb more precious than gold and silver. Lord, we praise You for truth, revealed truth that we hold in our hands, Your Word. Help us to treasure it. Help us to live it. Help us to learn it. Help us to pass it on to others. Thank You for this evening, Lord. Thank You for these people and their interaction, Lord, through this Bible study. Thank You, Lord, for speaking to our hearts. Help us to always be a church that honors and preaches the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to keep our focus based in this book. Help us to preach this book, stand on this book, and die by this book. We love you and praise you now in the Savior's name. Amen. God bless you.